there's a a skill that we often lack when we're children and we develop as we get older, um, and and it's to really kind of think long-term about our goals and how different things impact our goals. Uh, Bill, actually, hey, say hi, everyone. Say, yeah. Bill, Bill, on several occasions, I know in his, in his counseling, would have people do it, kind of a dream board or a vision board and take a bunch of magazines and cut out pictures that represent who they want to be in their life in 10 or 20 years. And you do this with adults that had not developed that ability of thinking long term. And then what you do after you've put together the whole kind of vision board of, of who you want to be when you're older, this is adults, right, who you want to be when you grow up, the question then is, are you doing anything today to help you become that person in the future? Are you doing something today that's going to keep you from doing and becoming that person in the future? Because if you're doing things that are going to get in the way, stop doing those things. And if there's things you can do that will help you get to where you want to go, start doing those things. Because if you're just going to wait for your future to happen to you without you doing anything along the way, you're going to be very disappointed with the results. And yet, so often, we we forget that. Uh, we think like children, because children uh, have a simpler process of deciding to do what they want to do right now. If you're a child and you're trying to decide what you want to do, rarely do children think, who do I want to be in 10 or 15 or 20 years, and how do I make decisions today that will help me become that? Usually what a kid thinks is, am I hungry or do I want to do something fun? That's the whole process, and it's a good process. in short uh, amounts, right? So one of the things that as parents we try and teach our kids to do is to develop the ability to think long-term and develop the habits that will help them become who they ought to be and need to be. Uh, So in the first two Sundays of June, we've got, uh, it's kind of our tradition that we preach uh, alongside the camp themes. This morning, our teens, our youth group left to go up to SoulQuest in York, Nebraska. Uh, where they're going to be talking this week about their theme, which is grow, grow. What is God trying to grow our teens into? What is God trying to produce in your life uh, that can be a blessing to the kingdom of God and the world around you? What is God doing in your life that that there is less of now and will be more of in the future? Because he's growing you. The kingdom of God is not static. It is always moving. It is always growing. And if you're going to be part of it, you need to be growing and moving also. And this is important. It feels obvious to say that, but I don't think that it is if we think about how we traditionally thought about faith. A lot of times there's a large number of people that think that Christianity is about making a commitment or a confession or a conversion at some point in your life. And then you say, good, I now take Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I'm forgiven of my sins. And now I'll just try and be mostly good until I die and get to go be with God. That's very static faith. It's not rooted in growing. It's not uh, based in this idea that God is trying to get you to be different in the future than you are in the present and certainly different from you used to be in the past. But over and over again in Scripture, what we see is a vision of a life of faith that is filled with growth and it's filled with movement, that God wants us to be affected by our faith and change who we are when we grow up. You know, and that's a question that kids get asked all the time. Kids and teens constantly are asked, what do you want to be when you grow up? 
What do you want to be? Who do you want to be uh, when you get older? And the question uh, is asked often, and a poll was put out uh, a few years ago in 2019 uh, that asked adults, what did you want to be when you were a child? And I assumed that they asked them, you know, shortly after the Ninja Turtle and Power Rangers stage, what was the next job that you really thought you wanted when you got older? Uh, and they actually sorted the data by state, which is kind of interesting. But in 17 states, the number one response given of what did you want to be when you got older, the number one response was teacher. Wanted to be a teacher. The number two response uh, was doctor and veterinarian. Wanted to be a medical professional. I thought it was interesting that those two were number two. Uh, apparently a whole lot of people want to be medical, just some people like people and some people like animals. And so that determines which one you want to do. Uh, your tolerance for humans determines which field you go into, right? Uh, three states had the number one response was lawyers and two had the number one response of artists. And then there was about 10 or 15 other answers that got one state each. Uh, can you guess what Oklahoma was? This, this shocked me. Oklahoma was artists. So it's kind of interesting. Uh, oh, there we are. Yeah, Kansas wanted to be a musician. Uh, the, the puppy one, that's the veterinarian. Uh, doctors out on the West Coast, so go figure. Um, so the data is, is really interesting. Um, yeah, Oklahoma and South Dakota were the two states that wanted artists, which makes sense because when you think about high culture, those two states come to the mind, right? <laughs> artists. Go figure, South Dakota. So we're in good company. Uh, another interesting thing in the research is they ask people, are you now doing what you dreamed of doing as a child? 15 to 20% of people said, yes, I am. Uh, 80 to 85% of people said, I'm not, I'm doing something else. And for some of them, that means they gave up on their dream. For others, it meant uh, that they found a new dream and a different set of skills or maybe a job that didn't even exist when they were kids that they're doing today. Uh, but so many people uh, aren't doing what they want to be doing. 70% of adults polled say that they are unfulfilled or unsatisfied with their current job or occupation. That if you ask them now, uh, are you living your best life in your job or in your career, uh, seven out of 10 adults say, I'm not. I don't like going to work. I don't feel like I have a good purpose. I don't enjoy what I do. And so it's not surprising then that in 2021, after the bizarre year that was 2020, uh, last year in the United States, 47 million people quit their jobs. 47 million people. It's the population of Spain. But in our country, that number of people voluntarily left the job that they were in. And it's not just that they were mad at their bosses or, or, or wanted to be home more with their kids. Uh, over half of them quit the job they were at to switch entirely the career field that they had been in before. Went in a totally new direction in their vocation. People are starting to ask real questions about how and where they want to spend their professional career and their time when they're at, at work. And I think we need to go even a little bit deeper than just asking what kind of job we want. I think we need to really recognize that there's a problem with the question, what do you want to be when you grow up? What do you want to be when you grow up? Because the question has in, in the question, is the implied idea that your identity is rooted in your job. Your identity is rooted in your job. 
So what do you want to be when you grow up? Uh, No one ever says, I want to be a good person. No one ever says, uh, rarely does someone say, I want to be a parent. Rarely does someone say, I want to be someone that's a Christ follower. We give a job. And we think that that's the essence of our identity. And when we teach that to kids and teens by asking them over and over and over again, what do you want to be when you grow up and expect them to give us uh, the job description that will be on their W-2 or 1099, we're, we're really missing the point, aren't we? Because I do a lot of funerals. And when you do a funeral and you go ask people, what, what, do, what is part of the last telling of this person's life? What do we really want to talk about? What do you want to celebrate? What do you want to remember? What are you grateful for? They don't talk about the person's job. It doesn't come up. It's about half a line in the obituary. And the rest of the service is, is dedicated to talking about that person and, and who they were as a mother and a father, who they were as a child and as a parent, who they were as, as friends and who they surrounded themselves with, and, and the kind of things that they did when they got to choose what they wanted to do. What did they love to do when they got to do anything they wanted? What did they choose? People talk about uh, values. They talk about integrity. They talk about how a person uh, communicated with other people and the relationships they had. That's what gets told when families come together and celebrate the life of a person. The job rarely comes up. The times that it does come up is the rare person whose their job is directly tied to their core values and their purpose in the world. And there's some of us that are lucky enough that we get to, uh, to kind of marry what we're passionate about, what we get paid to do. And, and those people, it does come up. But for almost everyone else, it's just the thing that allowed them to have the money to do the stuff they wanted to do. and allowed them to take care of their family. And it's not part of the last telling of the story of their life. Things that give them joy and purpose, gifts and abilities, that's what comes up. And so you begin to to realize that there's a real disconnect between what do you want to be when you grow up and tell me the story of the life a person lived. They're asking essentially the same question and giving completely different answers. And that should make us reflect. What would happen if we could teach our kids and our teens and maybe even learn ourselves to answer the first question, what do I want to be when I grow up, through the lens of the second question, what kind of life do I want to be described when it's all said and done? Would we change how we live our lives? Would we change our choices about job, change our priorities about family, faith, and and relationships? Would we reorient ourselves to say, man, I'm pouring so much energy into how I get money that's my income and how I spend my life and how I I make a difference in my occupation. And and it's not to say that a job is all about money. Those of us who, who have jobs that we feel called into realize that our jobs often allow us to make a difference in the world and in the lives of others. But so often, if 70% of us are unfulfilled in our jobs, that's not what we're doing at work. We're getting a paycheck that won't be part of the story at the end of your life. When we order our lives around questions about how we actually want to be remembered, we think about important questions. What are my values? What are my core values, the things that matter the absolute most to me? What are things that will make a difference that outlast my own life? 
What are, uh, who and what do I love and do my priorities, my actions, and my words match the answer to that question? What do you want to be when you grow up doesn't take these into account most of the time. It takes into account uh, things like uh, what would be the most fun to do at work, what pays the most, what has the most status and prestige, or, or, or who has a job that you really respect them and maybe you want to emulate them and follow them and be like them. Which then I think brings us to an example that would, should be stronger for Christians. When we think about who do we most respect, and I think probably so many of the kids who say, when I grow up, I want to be a teacher, are saying that, not necessarily because they look at teachers and say, boy, they look like they're having a great time. Because I don't, most, I don't know if you guys know many teachers, uh, but they get frustrated with kids a lot. Um, but I think kids say they want to grow up and be a teacher because there's a teacher that's made a difference in their life and that they really respect. And they say, I want to be like that person who's one of my most respected people in my life. Now, if we really are disciples of Jesus Christ, then we should be looking at other people who are disciples and followers of Jesus, who is certainly worthy of our honor and respect, and saying maybe we should grow up to be like them. And so you look at, at Peter and some of the other disciples who were fishermen. You go to them early in their life and you ask them, hey, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? And they say, well, I'm going to be a fisherman. My dad was a fisherman. My grandpa was a fisherman. I've already got the boat and the nets. Um, I, I fish. That's what I'm going to be when I grow up. But you go ask Peter after he sees the resurrected Messiah, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I bet you he's not talking about fish very much. He's talking about the one who lived and died and lived again and lived eternally and says, why don't you be like me? And Peter says, I'm going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. That's my primary identity. Nothing else matters anymore. Matthew, the tax collector, used to have a job where he made a pretty good living. But you go ask Matthew after he sees a resurrected Messiah, what matters most in your life anymore? And he's not talking about taxes. He's talking about Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected. And he says, listen, I'm going to spend the rest of my life following this man, Jesus, who's King of kings and Lord of lords. And the other stuff doesn't matter. Saul does the same thing when he becomes Paul. And he used to be a tent maker. Paul talks like once about making tents for a living throughout the entire New Testament. And he wrote a lot. And he talks about himself a lot. And when he talks about himself, what he's almost always saying is, follow my example as I follow Jesus. And he doesn't really talk about his paying job. Why? Because it doesn't even matter compared to being a follower of Jesus Christ. And I think if we can get that, that perspective that Paul has, we can start to realize, what do I want to be when I grow up? I want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. I might get a paying side job that goes with that, that I could get my 1099 and W-2 for, that, that helps pay my health insurance, but I'm a disciple of Jesus. That other thing's just a side gig. Whether that's being an accountant or a lawyer whether it's working at a restaurant or doing so many other things that, that, that we do as jobs, that's not where we get our identity. Our identity comes from being disciples of Jesus Christ, who is trying to grow in us something far greater than we were when he found us. You know, there's, there's a tendency uh, often with, with people, especially uh, adult Christians who were baptized in their youth, to get older and to say, man, I... 
I just can't believe how very little I knew. I can't believe how little I knew when I was baptized. And it makes me wonder sometimes if I knew enough to be saved then, thinking about how much I know now and believe now and trust now compared to how little I knew then. And yet when we look at some of the stories of Jesus in in Matthew 13, we looked at one of them last week where we have the parable of the sower where where Jesus says God's like a sower that just goes out and scatters seed all over a field. And when the seed takes root and and it's allowed to grow and to thrive, God produces a harvest 30, 60, and 100 times more than what was sown. As Christians, we sometimes think, man, I know 30 times more now what I did when I got baptized. Well, good. That's the low end of our expectations. 30 is just what you get on your way to 60, on your way to 100 times more than what God sowed in you. And in that same set of teachings, he goes on and he's got this other section. Uh, This is Matthew 13 in verse 31. He tells him another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. Both of these images of incredible growth in the world of baking and farming, it'd be hard to find better examples of something that goes from such a tiny, tiny little thing to producing such incredible growth. And yet when we say, man, I just I know so much more now than when I was first when I first became a Christian or when I first came to believe or when I was first baptized and we act like that's a bad thing that should be expected. Of course you do. You've done the work. You've put it in. When God's, the Spirit of God has blown, you've put up the sails and you've pulled up the anchor and God's taken you where He wanted you to go. He's given you gifts you didn't used to have. You've studied, you've learned, you've prayed, and God's doing things in you. You should be growing. If you're not growing, you're doing it wrong. So Jesus teaches that we should have an expectation of unbelievable, incredible growth internally and externally and what we produce in our lives and the difference we make in the kingdom as a result of God's work in us. It's a growing kingdom. It's not static. It's not just about getting baptized and waiting till Jesus comes back and takes us home. It's always growing. And when God came down to earth and he came in the form of of a little baby boy born in a manger, And we know all the Christmas songs and Christmas stories. Uh, The Bible tells us that God had to grow. God, in the form of his son Jesus, uh, grows. And and in fact, there's two passages. There's one that I was very familiar with when I really started kind of looking into this. There was another one I thought, man, I I forget about that one. Jesus is described as growing uh, first in Luke chapter 2, verses 39 and 40. This is when Joseph and Mary have taken him to the temple and he's just been prayed over and blessed by several prophets, a prophet and a prophetess who are there in the temple and they prophesy over him and they bless him and they're just overwhelmed by God's goodness in this little baby boy. Jesus is circumcised according to the law and here in verse 39, after they had done all that was required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth and the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God 
was on him. He's about a week old when this is describing him. Isn't that a fun idea to think about how the growth of Jesus uh, from the time he was a baby to the time he was 12 is just covered in this little phrase. But there's this idea that God is growing in this baby boy and young boy and now older boy. He's growing him and his grace is on him and he's growing in strength and he's growing in wisdom and he's figuring out his place in the world and he's a child and he's growing. And then the phrase comes up again. There's the story where when he's 12, they take him to the temple and he gets uh, lost because he's so wrapped up in Bible study with scholars and they're impressed by his knowledge and his wisdom and his understanding. And and Mary and Joseph get a couple days uh, out of Jerusalem when they realize that he's not with the larger camp of the family. And they go back and they find him. And there's, uh, there's this tense moment where Jesus is lost, even though he's in the temple with his father in his father's house. When they find him, it says that Mary treasured all of these things in her heart. And then as a preteen and young man, here's how Jesus is described. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and people, God and man. Uh, Jesus is growing as a teenager. And I just love these two images. And they're simple verses and they're little things. But isn't this what we want for our kids and our teens? is that for them to be uh, not just floating through one day to the next on their phones and screens and uh, going to school and maybe learning all their core subjects, we want them to be people who can be described as young men and young women who are growing in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and in favor with others. And so we shape them towards that. And it's going to require us to have an expectation in them that, that they have an expectation that God's growing and doing something in their life. That faith isn't just about showing up and staying kind of relatively the same and don't sin and that's good enough and that gets you through it. And at some point you become an adult and you have kids and when you have kids you have to start teaching children's Bible class. That's, that's it. That's the Christian life. Right? There's more to it than that. God wants to grow you in the same way that he grew his son Jesus Christ. Subtle disclaimer, I think all people have spiritual gifts and should teach children, and Laura can stop glaring at me now. Um, It's not just being a good children's Bible class teacher is not about fertility. It's about the ability to to have this desire that children grow in wisdom and stature and favor with God and others. Um, So Jesus is growing, and it's not just as a child. In Hebrews chapter 5, it says, Son, though he was, talking about Jesus, he learned obedience from what he suffered, And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Son though he was, he learned obedience from his sufferings. There's this idea in Hebrews 5 that Jesus, who is the very Son of God himself, is as he's being arrested and put on false trial on trumped-up charges, and as he's being beaten and flogged and taunted and crucified, that there's learning happening. And we don't think about that. We don't think of the cross as, as a schoolroom where Jesus continues to learn obedience to God. Uh, but it, Paul uses a similar language in Philippians 2 where he says that, uh, that Jesus, uh, being obedient even to the cross, that that obedience is instructive in bringing Jesus towards perfection. That he is still learning even as he becomes the ultimate sacrifice and Messiah that we need to save us. He's still learning. 
And what a, what a concept that is to see Jesus learning in wisdom and stature and see Jesus learning through his suffering so that he can be moving towards perfection. And the writer of Hebrews then goes right on out of that into this next idea where he says in verse 11, we have much to say about this, but it's hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk being still an infant is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Sometimes we get so familiar with a passage in Scripture that it fails to, to have the effect in our ear that it had for the first readers. And so we kind of, we've churchified the phrase, um, don't crave spiritual milk, but instead crave spiritual solid foods. We need solid foods. Give me meat, not, not milk. And, and we've kind of turned it into such a religious expression that we miss um, that what Paul is saying is some of you are babies. Some of you are babies. You need your mom to feed you. Some of you are such babies. You go around all the time. You don't even understand the basic things of faith. That, it, it's just, and this is something we say in our house sometimes. We don't talk like babies in this house. We don't have any babies that live here. I don't understand why it sounds like there's some here right now. And that's my kids talking to me. I'm like, I, you know, so it's just, it's good to hear those things and those, those reminders that I shouldn't be whining so much. Um, it's an insult. Paul is trying to be very offensive to the people he's writing to. You stopped learning and now you act like babies. You stop trying to understand the more important and mature things of the, your Christian faith. Now you act like children. Stop it. It's gross. It's beneath you. And, and yet you think it's fine. And you shouldn't think it's fine. And, and he, he says, if you've stopped learning and trying to understand these things, you're not mature. You're a child. Can you imagine if you went into a, a performance review at work? And, and your boss came to you and, uh, and you said, hey, uh, how'd I do this year? And he said, the exact same as last year. You're like, well, I got a pretty good review last year. Yeah, but you haven't grown. You haven't improved. You're not getting better. In fact, a baby could do what you've done this year. That's bad news. That's not a good review. And that's what Paul is saying uh, here. That's what Paul... That's what the writer of Hebrews, Paul didn't write Hebrews, I don't think. So, so what the writer of Hebrews is saying, how many times did I say Paul wrote this? I just heard myself say it four times and rewind. Paul didn't write it. Uh, the writer of Hebrews is saying this over and over and over again. Paul says something similar elsewhere, so I'm okay, but I'm not great. So it's fine. I've got to keep learning and growing, and there's one of my areas. You've got to keep trying to learn and understand um, you should be growing enough that you have a mastery of the topic enough that you can explain it to someone else. It's one of the best teaching tools. How do you know when you've mastered a topic? It's when you can take the topic that you've been learning from someone else and you can turn to the next person and say, listen, I've got something I want to teach you. 
and you can learn it from me, and then you know you've taught them effectively when they can turn and teach it to someone else. It's why camp was so much fun this last week. Uh, on Friday, we ended the week by having the kids all go out to the basketball court uh, and draw uh, some version of their understanding of the gospel story. And, and share it with someone else. And then we gave them a megaphone and let them share it with one another. And, and we're actually letting children do what many of us are not able to do. Why are we not able to do it? Because we're babies. You should be learning to the point that you can teach it to someone else. Do you have to get like a master's degree in it? No. The gospel is a simple story. It's a simple story that we can, we can learn and we can take it into our life and then we can share it with someone else. And we need to be able to do that because that's part of, of, of growing. doesn't mean that we're all gifted with the gift of evangelism. It doesn't. Some of us are gifted as Bible class teachers. Some are gifted as prayer warriors. But if your gift is praying and you can teach someone else about prayer, then you're, you're in it. You've learned it and you're teaching it. You're growing and you're sharing that with others. And it can, the text also goes on in Hebrews, not written by Paul, but by someone else. See, I'm getting better. Um, he connects maturity with being able to discern good from bad and right from wrong, evil from what is good. He says, those of you who don't understand righteousness have a problem. This is tough for us today. Because we as Christians live in a world that often calls evil good and good evil. This is true in all kinds of different areas, not just in one. But we live in a world where we call good evil and evil good. And, and it makes it really difficult because if we as Christians fall into that trap of being people who celebrate evil uh, and, and, and say this is in fact good when God says it is not, then what the writer of Hebrews would say is, you're eating spiritual milk, not solid food. Because you should be able to, as someone who is, is learning and is growing and is getting to where you can be a leader and not just a follower, you should also be able to label good as good and evil as evil and to do so in a way that allows you to be spiritually mature and not spiritually immature that that's part of the marker of someone who has grown in their faith. And yet when we think about God growing us up, it, knowledge is only part of it. When you think about children, when children are little, you want to just give them all the knowledge. Important stuff and little stuff, you know, it's all kind of there. You need them to learn math. You need them to learn not how to burn their hands. You need them to learn how uh, walking across the street safely works. That's all knowledge type stuff. But then as they get older, you need to teach them wisdom because wisdom is what really brings you into obedience. And wisdom isn't just knowledge. It's not just right or wrong. It's being able to, to work out in the difficult, messy, muddy parts of life what is good and what is bad. And it's not always straightforward, and it's not always black and white. And you've got to kind of learn how to discern what, what wise people would do in all kinds of different circumstances and situations. And, and you, with kids, you want to walk with them through that for a time. But at some point, you've got to kind of let go and say, I'm here in a support role whenever you want to. But now we've got to see if I've grown you okay. If you've received what I've offered you. But more important than what they get from us as parents is seeing what God has grown in them. Seeing what God is producing in their lives. Because does God give us knowledge and an increase of knowledge as we study and learn and grow? Yeah. 
Does God give us uh, obedience and grow us in obedience if we're willing to follow his words and do what he says is good and avoid what he says is evil and not listen to what the world says? Yes, but knowledge and obedience are just the beginning. For those of us who are in Jesus Christ, God's spirit dwells in us. And above knowing and doing, we then start to become something. What do you want to be when you grow up? Transformed by the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you, shaping your character, making you godlike in your character and your values and your virtues, that you become someone whose life is, is evidence of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. All the fruits of the Spirit that that we talk about all the time and we, we, we get caught up in the imagery of fruit and we think that's not a big deal. God is sh- shaping your character and growing in you a character and set of values different from your own and different from the world's because his spirit is in you and his spirit is contagiously good. Yeah. And it, it shapes you in a way that comes out of you and begins to become contagiously good to those who are around you and, and throughout all the world. Knowledge, obedience, transformation, becoming contagiously good because God is in us. God wants to grow in you. God wants to grow you. God wants through you to grow his kingdom in the world. And God's never done with us. He's always growing us up. He's always shaping us into more and more of the image of Jesus Christ. It's never done. So the next time somebody asks you, whatever age you are, what you want to be when you grow up, I hope you tell them, I want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. I want to be a Christian. And I hope you have a paying side job you enjoy. That's fine. If you need a job, get a job. Pay the bills. But I hope that you get your primary identity not from what you do for money, but from who you are as a follower of Jesus Christ. Because there is no career that can compare to the eternal choice of being a follower of Jesus. And I can tell you right now that the very best funerals I do are the ones for people who made that choice. To be a follower of Jesus and to worry less about how they make their money, to shape their lives around doing the things Jesus would do and being the person God calls them to be and allowing the Spirit to do its work in shaping them and transforming them, those people have great funerals. And all the days between the time that someone first asked them, what do you want to be when you grow up, and telling the story of the life they lived, if you're celebrating that choice, you've done it right. If you've never made that decision, if you've never made that commitment to be a follower of Jesus above and beyond all other decisions and things that give you identity and purpose in this world, and you want to do it today, there's nothing stopping you. You can come forward this morning if you have that or any other need as we stand and sing. Holy Spirit.